Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Why do you think everyone involved in this case is dying? Hey there, O'Toole. I... Before you're even allowed to speak, we decided to do the nice guys this week because everybody's talking about it. And that is a loose use of we, but okay. Okay, so anyway, we did. I actually texted her and she said, okay. And I With loved it, and I know you didn't. O. I loved this movie. Did you not love it? I, how to put this? <laughs> I so did not enjoy this movie. I thought seriously about just sitting this podcast out. Okay, well, you know, you can do that if you want, because this is sort of like Pretty Woman. You just don't get it, but I'll help you through it. But before we even get to that, I have a bunch of things to talk about. Can I go, can I go forward on this? Please talk about anything but the movie. Okay, well, okay, so Gilmore Girls has, they've got oh, their... Oh, how can we put Gilmore Girls and the Nice Guys in the same podcast? We can, we can, and they have oh. a name for their new, they have a name for their movie coming out. It's called A Year in the Life, and as I understand it, there are going to be four separate um, episodes, and each one is going to be a different season. So that's sort of cool, right? That is cool, and Sutton Foster is going to be in I the know, I know. continuation so yay for us. of Gilmore Girls. Can't, Thank you for starting me off with some self-medication there. I'm going to hold on that. to that happy thought. Yes. Okay, and then, of course, everybody who watches Grey's Anatomy, uh, the, the finale was last week, and Callie left the show for good, so yet another one bites the dust. I think there's only three really? left. Yeah. Is she going to go back and do some more Broadway? I don't She hasn't said what she's going to do, but it's clear, you know, Shonda didn't kill her off the way she did McDreamy. <laughs> so it's clear that Shonda does not have anything against her. And so, and they, they both tweeted out lovely things about each other and all's nicey nicey and she can come back whenever she wants. So I believe they're going to have, they're having her move out East with her girlfriend. So, but there's only like three left now, four left. There's the chief, there's Miranda there's um gray who cares about her i don't like her okay <laughs> i like meredith gray i don't like meredith gray i think she's a whiner anyway and uh who else karev so goodbye to callie best of luck to her and i just thought you might be relieved to know that the good wife sequel uh has been signed on so now this is the one with with christine baranski yes exactly and that they're not saying well I, it should be interesting and sometimes I like to talk about trailers. And have you seen the trailer, Ben Affleck's The Accountant, that's coming out? I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> I with think Anna it Kendrick. looks really good. It looked very good, maybe because Ben Affleck didn't really talk. But I thought it looked really, really interesting. <laughs> well, and it's such an interesting premise. And um, he's an accountant for the mob, but he's also, I th- he's either autistic or. Um, Asperger's. Yeah, Asperger's. I'm not sure which it is, but but it shows the intelligence and brilliance behind. It looks just really, really interesting and good for him. I'm glad he's doing something. And then last but not least, we did put up a written um, review that I did of the movie Doe. And nobody's talking about it, and I probably shouldn't be either. <laughs> so, but I did put it up there. So if anybody's heard about the movie and you want to take a look, it's there. Okay. Okay, so now we're going to get to the nice guys. Okay. All right, should I walk you through why you didn't get it and that you'll maybe see the light, or should you do wish to start? Okay, I need to be walked through so badly. I might need a chair just so I can sit and rest as we do the walkthrough, but just to sum up. 
We keep getting this input is... that people love it when we argue, so let's go for it then, okay? Well, I thought The Nice Guys was so sophomoric, so appalling, oh my God, and it was so no. objectifying no. of women. I thought it made How to Be Single look like Ms. Magazine. Well, How to Be Single was was not, you know, this this was Abbott and Costello. This was, uh, you know, this was Laurel and Hardy, and they... It, you neither can't, of which I've ever been able to watch. By the way, but, okay. and, and what's so funny about this is neither can I. I can't. I can't stand either one of them. But I will tell you that I went back and looked up a couple of things because I remember seeing one. It was. It's um, it's Bud Abbott and and Lou Costello meets Frankenstein, and two minutes fifteen seconds into it. Do you remember in the um in the Nice Guys movie when? Oh, and Ryan Gosling is trying to signal to um, Russell Crowe that there's a dead body and he can't get the words out. March! Go to YouTube and go to Bud Abbott and Lou Costello meet Frankenstein. Go to two minutes, 15 seconds in. He, it's stolen. Right, He took it right off that video. And it's brilliant. And I think... You know, there's a reason two really, really successful actors took this, and it's because I think the acting is extremely challenging. You have to cross between slapstick, noir, there's black in this. I mean, this is a noir, you know, positioning, and yes, the objectification of women is certainly in there, but you have to do a lot of nuance with it, and I think that the combination between the two of them is unbelievably brilliant. I think they just nailed it. I laughed out loud so many times, I cannot tell you. Hollister, you've you've, uh, mentioned quite a few things there. So you're going to have to backtrack with me because you really do have to walk me through this. First of all, the comparison between Ryan Gosling and Lou Costello. See, I miss how that makes it brilliant as opposed to just derivative. It's brilliant because the humor is very nuanced you know by the way I I didn't get it at all I thought the only funny bits were in the trailer oh no I think there were lots of funny bits but I will say that the the nuance is around the humor okay it's the the expression and then the comment the comment either is stupid or it's really funny in a sort of sick way. I'll give you an example of how it's funny. Okay. I, I need one. I definitely need okay. one. Okay. Okay, so um, so his daughter Holly, so um, Gosling's daughter Holly is she sa- she makes the statement, um, there are whores here and stuff. And he says, Holly, don't say and stuff. Say there are whores here. <laughs> And I just burst out laughing. It's sort you know, because he's the, it's a brilliant layering in of the juxtaposition of he totally missed the point. His daughter's talking about whores. She's sitting in a party where she doesn't belong, talking about whores, and he's going to talk to her about don't add the word and stuff onto a sentence. It's, it's, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. See, and that's a joke that certainly gets repeated by her later in the Which movie. Which is what makes it even funnier. You know, she learns and from her dad me, and mirrors it. Yeah, it's brilliant. And to me, I just find it so uncomfortable that they've inserted a 13-year-old girl into a porn party 
And it's a movie just completely void of parenting. I get that it can be comedic when you invert the parental child roles and she's supposed to be much smarter than her father. But I just she's find She's not supposed it to be much creepy. smarter than her father. Her father's in... No, you know what? That's where, that's where these deeper levels, you've got to take a look at them. You're the world's worst detectives. Got a cool head, though. Made your head small. It's not that she's smarter than her father. It's that her father's in deep mourning, and he's a drunk because he can't live with an action that he took, which we won't give away, and she knows that. Give it away. I'd like to know there was some plot to this movie. There was, and and, and she can't... She understands that, but and she's hoping he's going to come back to being who he was and is, and, you know, but he's, you know, he's in terrible pain and she's trying to keep it all together during this period, hoping he's going to come out of it, which he does in the end, which is great. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, it, it's not that she's smarter than him. He's not dumb at all. He's just drunk some of the time and he's in terrible pain from what happened in his life, you know? So, well, um, see, I think the big question there is the tone is all over the map from the trailer, which they kept recutting. They were trying to sell it to us as this buddy comedy detective thriller but really if you take out all the epithets 90 percent of the dialogue goes away if you take away all the chain smoking and the drinking 90 percent of the action goes away mm. and if you take away the topless no. women 90 percent of the women disappear no 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 the, first of all it's written it's written did you it's written by shane black and he also did kiss, who also kiss, directed it kiss yeah he also did kiss kiss bang bang robert downey jr did you see it I saw parts of it. This is his third feature, at least. Yeah, but it, but this one's very similar to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, where it's like it's like a terrible murder happens at the beginning to a woman, and then it's sort of the follow through, and it and it goes between um, silly to black to drama to you know. I mean, there were some moments of tension in this, and you know, and you know, and levity brought in, and so I mean, there there's definitely a parallel between those two films. But I thought the yeah, dialogue was scripts. I thought the dialogue was brilliant. There were twelve people in the movie theater. All of us laughed throughout the whole thing. I spoke to three people when they were leaving and said, "Did you like it?" And they said, "I would never go see it again." But I, I and I, it was a terrible movie. I mean, they I'm juxtapositioning what they said, which is certainly what I thought. And yes, I loved it. I'm so glad I saw it. And I I feel the same way. Well, in my screening, seven people left early, and the man next to me apologized to his wife when the credits were rolling. Shane Black is, he's famous in the screenwriting world. He first came on Everybody's Radar with Lethal Weapon, so his scripts are all very similar in terms of these mismatched buddy cop movies. Well, and Iron Man is his too, also. That's right. He directed Iron Man 3, but um, he made history because he was the first screenwriter to ever be paid a million dollars for a script which was Last Action Hero. Then he broke that own record with The Last Boy Scout. And then for The Long Kiss Goodnight, he was paid $4 million I, Well worth script. every penny. I think the guy can write dialogue like nobody's mom. I don't see it at oh, God, all. I loved In it. fact, the dialogue so many times, it repeated something that we had already seen. So for example, another pretty disturbing scene was when one of the baddies throws another 13-year-old girl through a glass wall. And Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling show up and they say, oh, did you hear that sound? What was that sound? And the baddie says, that was the sound of me throwing a 13-year-old girl through a glass wall. And I liked that he repeated that. The enormity of what had happened was worth repeating. 
I thought it was so empty. So, for example, this was the kind of dialogue when he said, thanks, buddy. And the guy turns to him and completely not in an ironic way says, how did you know my name was Buddy? Yeah. This is the best a $4 million screenwriter can oh, do. Oh, I, I thought it was great. I thought it was great. I really did. I thought... Um, I should have I should have watched it again so I could write some of them down. I thought there were some great lines in it, and I also think that um, that there was was a really nice layering in of funny, dark, funny, dark. And it's you know what's interesting is I did go read a bunch of reviews, and by the way, a lot of the reviews are you know are quite strong in the positive vein. Some people saw it more like I did than like you did. But here's what's really interesting to me: three reviewers talked about Russell Crowe has become a little thick, meaning he's gained weight. Now, can I just say, if that were a female actor, they would all say she got really fat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, really? Well, so men I did get... read another review that said he's the size of a Humvee. I couldn't believe that was his artistic choice. He I decided know. on his own to gain over 50, 50 pounds, pounds for exactly because he wanted to look nothing like Ryan Gosling. And but I thought, also, okay, nowadays, when we live in a world when we are savvy enough to distinguish the entire cast of Downton Abbey from one another, I get that Russell Crowe is not Ryan Gosling. I don't need for him to endanger his health. I just kept thinking Russell Crowe looks nothing like yeah, Look at look a little look a little further because if you look at Laurel and Hardy and you look at Abbott and Costello, one of them was big and and large, and the other one was very tall. It was very thin. I think there was and I go back. Well, wait, to let me derivative. let me just finish. Uh, you know, so if you look at Laurel and Hardy and Abbott and Costello, one of them is very large and one of them is very thin. I think part of what they were doing is they really were trying to bring Abbott and Costello into the 2016 realm. And let's face it, there hasn't been that type of humor uh, brought into into film in, in 30 years. So good for them. I think it worked. And I think that's one of the reasons he chose to be large. See, again, I find that derivative. It's not the kind... I, I didn't see humor in this. I think the opening scene of the movie completely set the tone, which was not the tone in the trailer. The opening of this movie starts with a boy who swipes a Playboy-like magazine from his father, brings it into the living room. A car literally crashes through his house with a porn star who is driving around in this car topless. <laughs> and her name happens to be Misty Mountains. The camera lingers on her mostly naked body, and I thought, okay, this sets the stage for the entire rest of the movie. It is disconnected characters who come and go, who we may or may not ever meet again. It's an empty plot. Whenever the movie stalls, they'll insert a car crash, and almost every woman in this movie is either topless or a porn star. You missed missed the whole point of that scene. What, What did you leave out of that scene? The father, either asleep no, or drunk. No, 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 no. What? What did you leave out? Uh, there, there. That scene ends. You left out the end, three seconds of that scene. He takes the child, who, by the way, stole the the magazine from under his dad's bed, takes his shirt off, uh-huh. and he covers her. Okay, if that doesn't. By the way, that's the most important part that happened, and you left it out. That. That he moment, call that moment, wait, wait, my turn, my turn. That moment in time was setting the stage for innocence. And you know what? He really didn't want to see her that way. And 
Even though he took the magazine from underneath his dad, I, dad, his dad's bed, I thought that it was a brilliant scene because of that ending. And isn't it interesting that you describe the entire scene without the ending, which is really what made the scene? Yeah. I don't agree. I kept wondering, why is the setting 1977 Los Angeles? And I think it was just an excuse for being lecherous. So as opposed to saying we're making oh, an object, we're making a film in 2016 that objectifies women. We're objectifying women in a fake 1970s world, so it's okay. It was this odd mix of when he tried to make the 13-year-olds in this movie innocent, but it just always left me so uncomfortable. So, for example, when the 13-year-old daughter is abducted, she's trying to flee the abductor who gets hurt chasing her. She stops, she goes back, she says, he's hurt, and grabs his hand. We can't leave him, he's hurt. That is not a message I would want to give any 13-year-old kid about oh, how I to deal was... with a kidnapper. Nor did First I find all, it I, funny. I, I, I'm not sure that people were bringing 13-year-olds to this movie, but number two... I don't number think they two, should. It, the reason I think it was brilliantly placed in the 70s is because the 70s was a time of huge innocence, you know, flower children, peace man, everything's beautiful, make love, not war. It was a time where this could have layered in beautifully. And that's one of the things that I think was so well done is the 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 music was stuff I Papa was a it opens with Papa as a Rolling Stone, you know, which by the way, if you think about it, perfectly layers in that her dad's having this problem of not being able to settle into a new world without his wife that he was partially responsible for her death okay um and then you go into you know the some of the the the, the you know love and happiness al green i haven't heard that in years it was wonderful boogie wonderland earth wind and fire jive talking the bgs when that music comes on and they're dancing at that party it was perfect. It was exactly the time when that could have happened. The party where Russell Crowe puts his drink down on what he thinks is a piece of furniture, but instead it's a I, it naked contortionist. Yeah, well, that's the way it was in the 70s, my friend. That's the I way it was. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure there were women out marching on the streets for the ERA, and now I see yeah, why. Yeah, and there were lots of women, by the way. There were Orgies were at their height. There was a lot of sex going on in the 70s. It was open love and sex. And I, I think they placed it in there. I thought it was exactly the time of history when it should be placed in there. And I, I, I think it was a perfect placement of, the, of that for sure. See, when... Yeah, I mean, we are really from different points of view here, girlfriend. I, I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, Kim Basinger's part, for example, we have an Oscar-winning actress here. And it's almost as though Shane Black never really thought she would accept the part. And she showed up on the set and he realized he forgot to write a part for her. And then maybe they made a bet that if she could just use the words catalytic converter in a sentence, you know, he would buy her lunch. She was given nothing. And she was the only woman in this movie who's not a porn star. She's the head of the Justice Department. Well, which in itself it was interesting. Uh, in the 70s, she would never have been in the head of the Justice Department. But I think that's the point now, isn't it? Okay, she also, though, was a bad guy. And at first I thought she was acting poorly. And then I realized that he was directing her that way because she was supposed to be exposed for the evil person she was right out of the gate. And, you know, and that was sort of the juxtaposition of the, of the, you know, layering in noir and, and humor and everything. I mean, you, I went from laughing to tension to 
oh my God, I can't believe that one died. I mean, there was a lot of places in there where I, it was a turn that I was, was unexpected. I do think the ending lagged. And I think the weakness for me was in the, in the, in the last, you know, 20 minutes of the film and it's a two hour film. So if they could have edited it down a bit, I think that would have helped. The ending is horrifying to me because it was setting it up for a sequel. The last thing I needed was for these two guys to reteam in another meaningless case. I didn't get why were they working together? Russell Crowe well, shows up. They were up. working together. No, he they were working together because Russell's arm. No, in a, in a way a... where the foley oh, sound. Every time someone broke a bone in this movie, they just amped up the sound. And then the next day, he returns and says, "You know what?" I broke your arm yesterday because you were looking for this girl, but now we both have to look for this missing girl who did an adult movie. Right. Because why? He explains it. He explains why. Because, and he turns to the guy when the guy breaks into his home, messes up his home, kills his fish and, and mucks him over. He says to him, now you made it personal and I will get you and you will regret that you've done this to me. He goes to Gosling, which is what was, one of the one of the nuances that was so brilliant was he goes to Gosling because he knows on some level Gosling is a better detective than he is. He's a better he's <laughs> better at the job than he is. Well, yeah, well, you know, I, I think I think Gosling does a really good job in some ways of of reading uh, of reading clues in a way that so Russell Crowe knew knew he needed his help. He couldn't do it without him. So the, and he it makes it very clear that's why he's going to him. So when he goes back the next day and he says, "I'm not here to beat you up again. Now I'm here to get your help." Um, the guy who's yeah, just I think it was very clear. severed his arm by putting it through a window. What do you want? A couple of people say you're a pretty good detective. That's a lot of work. This is the competence that he needs to team up with. I just, their, their mission was so empty. So their mission was to find a missing girl who was in a porn movie. No, that, that was not their mission, O'Toole. Were you watching the movie? I the was mission, trying to find something to latch on to. Russell Crowe's mission was to get the guy who ruined his home. But Ryan crossed Gosling, the line, who crossed the prof- no, of who crossed the professional line. Ryan Gosling was, was looking, looking for, for somebody who, yeah, who was he was being paid to look for. It was a who whole. Was there in were the a number- adult movie. Right, but that's not. It wasn't because she was in an adult movie. It was because she was missing, and other people around her had died. That's why they were looking for her. So and then as it got bigger, to find a missing girl. Yeah, why wouldn't why wouldn't that why isn't that plausible? We know nothing about the girl. I mean, we've started the movie with a boy and a girly magazine. We know nothing it about Amelia. We know t- yeah, nothing about un- Amelia and her relationship with Kim Basinger, her mother. We know nothing about Misty Mountains, who's dead in the car in the living room. There was no plot to this movie. Oh, I think there was a great plot. I'll tell you where I think the plot fell apart a little bit was I needed to understand what goods she had on the car companies. Like, obviously, she explains that her mother had the evidence to put the car companies under by saying they knew about these flaws. Now, if you also look in the 60s, right? In the 60s, 70s was the Pinto, the Ford Pinto issue. And, you know, for 20 years, Ford hid the fact that they knew those Pintos exploded and I don't, I can't remember how many people died, but it was in, I think it was a couple hundred. They knew about this. I mean, there was a, a, an element of truth into what was being hidden and it was hidden. The justice department did know that the Pinto did that and they didn't want to bring Ford Motor Company down. So it wasn't coming from nowhere. I mean, there was a nuance, but I thought they should have but brought that to the forefront more. none of that was in this movie. I mean, they well, show it was. one. She describes that her, 
barely. She tells barely. They show one scene of the long. No, I agree. Gas lines. I, they definitely could have pulled that out more, but but to or say the movie all. had no plot is uh, no you know plot. I, I don't think is yeah I think that's a gross exaggeration. And I, I think, think it does, Money did have Monster a plot. had a lot more plot than the Nice Guys. Well, I don't know what to tell you until other than maybe you just didn't get it, honey. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because I I found it had a wonderful plot and you know I I thought it was really really well done and I laughed out loud a number of times. Tell me, give me an example of what you found funny. I thought the trailer was cut to make the movie look as amusing as possible. And you know, I, thought- I I don't think we can get hung up on trailers. I mean, what does the trailer have? I mean, the trailer to me a trailer has nothing to do with the movie. I don't really like them associated with movies anyway. I wish it's they didn't the have them. Selling point to get you in, but I thought the trailer was cut in a way that made it look like a comedy. I did not find the movie funny at all. I did. I thought it was very. I had very. So, I thought so it give had me, very. I, give me an example. I gave you one. I gave you when Holly says, "There's like whores here and stuff." Sweetheart, how many times have I told you? Don't say and stuff. Just say, "Dad, there are whores here." It didn't <laughs> bother you that there's no woman in this movie with a job besides Kim Basinger with her three sentences trying to be the head of the Justice Department. I don't think, well, I think, frankly, there was a woman with a job, and it was his daughter who was trying to hold the family together until he could get his act together, and okay. I thought she did an amazing a, job. A I thought she was, yeah, I thought she was woman, great. A loose use of woman that the 13-year-old well, is you know, the only there one. Were, by the way, there weren't only, there, was, there were two guys in this movie, a young girl and a couple of bad guys, and that was it. Well, the two guys so, are the stars. So Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling, once we get rid of the boy with the Playboy magazine and the dead Misty Mountains in the living room, they're in pretty much every scene. Okay, but that's, so you could say that about Thelma Louise in reverse. What, you know, I would have loved God, you know. to have been watching Thelma and Louise. At least there, there's a plot with obstacles that I get. No, but what there's you're saying is there were no great women role models in this movie, and I'm saying that there are mov- this movie was not about women role models, but and there, there doesn't topless, have to be a ro- women role model in every movie. Thelma and Louise has no I am male... I'm not real- saying role model. I'm saying something other than a topless woman. So you have the mermaid swimming topless through the aquarium. You have well, the people discussing Louise, the porn movies. Well, in Thelma Louise, there were only idiot guys. Um, in Thelma Louise, there were only idiot guys. That's yeah, not there are. true. No, there was the what, cop. What smart guy was in there Thelma There was Susan Louise. Sarandon's boyfriend. There was the cop that was chasing them. I'm not saying that you can't have a bad guy in a movie. I would have embraced an antagonist that actually had some kind of detail to them in this movie. It's just, I I thought the pairing was very weak. I thought the comedy fell very flat. I thought the dialogue repeated everything that we had seen. And it was just topless women in the background of every scene. And I I felt uncomfortable watching a 13-year-old daughter dragged off to a porn movie palace watching the porn movies with the porn stars. I think uh, I think that that was you know I, I certainly don't think that had anything to do with anything around this and you know I mean I it didn't bother me a bit it really didn't I mean did it bother you in Paper Moon that Tatum O'Neill was was uh, subjected to the things she saw I never saw Paper Moon okay um, but this was supposed to else. be a comedy which I find even creepier it's not she was vibing the look of Jodie Foster in Taxi Driver she looked a lot like her a younger Jodie Foster but for something that's marketed as a comedy I I don't find that funny 
I, I, you didn't think that scene in the bathroom when he's, he's pulling his gun out, trying to get up from the toilet, and Crow says to him, you know, there's a mirror in here. I mean, you didn't find any of that clever and funny? I think Ryan Gosling's physical timing is really good. I think he's got great oh gestures, my God, brilliant. which, again, brilliant, you could brilliant. just watch the trailer. But I don't want my movies taking place in bathroom stalls. If that's the high point <laughs> of the comedy, it doesn't work for me. I don't think it's a high point at all, but I'm saying there were many, many, many comedic moments when, when, um, when they go up the elevator to the penthouse, the elevator doors open and clearly people are being thrown out of windows and being shot and they just look at each other and they close the elevator door. And on the way, you don't think that was funny or on the way up when he says, well, the word he was looking for, what was the word he was looking for? Um, well, there was a there was a moment when when Gosling is riding up the elevator and he's recalling a word that the the bartender was unable to find and frankly I can't remember the word right now and he says the word and Crow looks at him and says what, you know there are times when they're when they're talking to each other that I thought were were just hysterical I laughed out loud as did everyone else in our theater so I don't know I, you know not that there were a lot of people in there and by the way we should point out that the numbers this week on this movie were way, way, way below what they anticipated they were going to be. They thought the movie was going to come out much stronger than it did. I'd love to did. know what the marketing budget was, because they certainly have been marketing this um, to the extreme. But, for example, in my theater, those who stayed to watch the whole thing, the scene where the missing girl runs from the house and then tries to get into the car of the man who had just tried to kill her, people in my audience just groaned. Most of the movie is stunt blood and shootings at close range and falling off of balconies and putting your hand through a okay, glass door. Okay, you didn't think it was funny when he was showing her, when he was, when he, when Gosling is showing the woman how he's an actor. He says, tells her he's an actor and he says, go ahead and shoot me. And she shoots him and he falls off the balcony. You didn't think that was funny? No, I think the movie had potential to be funny. I think oh these God. two actors so have potential to be funny, but the dialogue and the lack of plot was just unbearable oh to God. me. And you didn't think John Boy, the use of, of John Boy's um, uh, birthmark on the face wasn't funny? I mean, there was a great nuance to that, too. If you grew up I in the 70s, call John... I nuanced. Again, I would call it... Oh, I thought it was great. Well, then, I thought it was great. let me ask you this. I know that you really didn't like the film Elvis and Nixon. Hated it. And you thought that the portrayal of Nixon just was... What was your word? Insulting... I thought it was disrespectful. So what did you think of the reference to Nixon here in The Nice Guys? Yeah, I, I thought it was a dot at the end of a sentence. I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't, I don't think it was depicting Nixon as anyone. It was, it was, it, that was part of his dream sequence of Nixon sort of haunting him. But no, and keep in mind, Nixon did resign over, you know, Watergate, um, which sort of made sense. Watergate was a big cover-up. You know, I mean, you know, I think every single thing in there, I think Black is really brilliant at layering in messages all throughout. But I, I, I didn't, it didn't depict Nixon as anything other than, you know, you know, dead in the, in the, in the... Um, but did you find it funny? Because I think it was supposed to be... I didn't find that moment. When he's in the pool, I didn't think that moment was funny, but I didn't think it was supposed to be. 
Huh. See, I just thought the tone of this was all over the map, and I thought the cinematography was dark. I got that it was supposed to be spoofing film noir, but honestly, the shooting of the film well, you know, was sunsets... so dark that people who came into my theater late, they couldn't even see which seats were available. Um, well, then don't come late to the movies is what I say, but um, but I didn't find it dark. I mean, I, I, I think it was also shot as in the 70s, Sunset Strippy, you know, that kind of, uh, of, you know, The Fugitive, you know. There were a lot of shows in the 70s that, that I think had that sort of, you know, crash, bam, bang, you know. But, but I just, I thought it was funny. I thought it was interesting. I thought it had some nuances that really had great messages, such as the opening scene. I thought the weakness was at the end. And the ending was, you know, totally predictable and weak. And um, but I, I and I thought the acting was so good. And I bet they really, you know, to get that timing right. I don't know how many takes they did of things, but I'd certainly like to know, because I think the way they used the language that he'd put on the paper and the way they used their their visuals and their, you know, when when she's talking, when Holly's talking to Crow. Crow becomes off as this sort of tough guy, you know, doesn't have much depth to him. And then when Holly talks to him and he looks at her, that's Crow's genius. You know, he can look and give a moment that says, I totally hear you. And he let her in and he, he, you know, when he finds her in the field and he talks to her about what happened and why she's there. And when, when Holly says to him, did you kill that man? And he says, no, of course not. And she said, because you wouldn't be a bad guy. I mean, I, you know, I thought it was, there was a lot of really interesting, relevant, uh, weaving in there that I thought was great messaging. I did. I thought it was super. I thought the dialogue they gave the girl was so saccharine about, oh, don't kill that man. That man is hurt. Don't kill that man. But I can assure you, if I ever officially lose my mind and somehow end up with a cult following and you can't figure out how to get my cult member hostages out of the compound, just pipe in this movie and I will come running out with my hands up. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, why don't we end on that? Because you and I are not going to agree. We could go on for another hour. But... Um... But we can certainly end here and say that if if you if you want to see this movie, email me. Don't email O'Toole. <laughs> and, and I have to say too. I mean, I came home and I did. I took a shower, and then I thought, I'm just curious what the other reviewers have said. And you're absolutely right. This is on Metacritic. The average score is in the 70s. But I have to tell you, I have never felt such an affinity for Rex Reed, who gave it zero points out of 100 when yeah. we're done with this podcast i am just going to reach out to rex uh, you because... know there were lots of really good reviews and also rotten tomatoes it's sitting there at four and a half um you know it's higher than most of what rotten tomato i mean i i thought it was a really good movie so if you uh if you want to go see the movie see the movie not a lot of not a lot of people are but that's because apparently some other movie really took hold this weekend so Anyway, best to Russell Crowe. I'm sure he's now on some sort of, you know, protein diet trying to take off the weight he put on. I do have to say, I came home and I didn't even feel guilty about it. I binge watched The Catch and watched the two-hour season finale. Did you know Mrs. Patmore, Leslie Nickel, makes an appearance in that? No, and I haven't watched it, so don't tell me yet. 
Okay, but another one to look for is Alan Ruck. He has a small part in it playing the attorney, but he's Marae Enos's real-life husband, better known as Ferris Bueller's friend, Matthew Broderick's friend and Ferris Bueller's day off. There you go. Okay. okay in one movie that I'm going to keep an eye out for, it's a new movie called The Salesman that's premiering at the Cannes Film Festival this week. And it's written and directed by the great Iranian writer-director Asghar Farhadi, who did The Past and A Separation, which are on my list of favorite foreign films. So I'm definitely going to check that one out. So ending with all that, there's lots to watch out there. And we'll hope that you'll listen in next week. Bye.